Hello! Welcome to It's Okay to Feel with Jennifer and Noam, a NAMI OC podcast, where we explore mental health topics that help you feel your feelings and feel a little less alone. We're so happy you're here. Now, on to the show. Welcome to It's Okay to Feel, a podcast by NAMI Orange County and by me, Noam Wells, and also by Jennifer Lynn. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. How are you, friend? I am tired, but good. <laughs> I'm also tired. Yeah. <laughs> but not good. No, I'm also, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. good. Yeah. <laughs> so today we are talking about uh, navigating mental health in a pandemic. And uh, we're still in one, a pandemic. It's still, <laughs> Who knew? That's crazy. It's still happening. Here in Orange County, uh, there's like a curfew now. And I heard you know, that. Cases are getting worse. And... And here in Florida, we're doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> doing nothing, I know. Oh, gosh. It's, uh, it's scary. But uh, so we're going to talk about that. And, uh, and then our interview uh, later in this episode is with Mina B, who's amazing. And it's so uh, she, good. This might have so been good. my favorite. She's great. <laughs> um, and uh, she's a therapist. And we, we get deep on dealing with discomfort and our disruption to normalcy and collective grief and all of those sorts of things. But but first, let's let's talk a little bit about how you and I are doing, Jennifer, in this pandemic with our mental health. How how has it impacted your own mental health? Well it's funny because when we recorded this, <laughs> uh, I usually write everything on a real paper calendar, which no one makes fun of me for. I and do not. You I think make it's fun charming. of me. <laughs> I like paper, okay? Uh, you like killing trees. Yeah, but only for my happiness. Only evil trees. <laughs> only mean ones. Only mean ones. Um, no, I make sure they're hollow trees because the woodpeckers ate all their insides. Anyways, I this is like the only one that I completely didn't write down at all, mostly because... You're talking about during our chat with Mina. Yeah, during our chat with Mina and you texted me and you're like... You got the Zoom link? And I'm like, yeah, for Saturday. And he's like, I don't remember what you said, but you're like, uh, no, for like in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And my husband was at work that day. And so literally in this interview, I was so stressed. And this was like the one I was most excited about. And I just kept leaving to watch to make sure my son wasn't getting into trouble in another room while the TV was on. And I prolonged his nap and he was just kind of laying there. Except this one time where I sensed something was wrong and he was about to pull down the whole curtain in our bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, COVID has had ups and downs. Uh, who knew it was going to last this long <laughs> when we said yes to this project in 2017? <laughs> and <laughs> I think it was 2011. Oh, whoops. Uh, My bad. It all feels the same. But how has your how has your mental health been impacted by this pandemic? It's wow. It's been interesting because I feel like there's like B H and A H before this house and after this house. Mm. Like, and our life is actually a little less stressful in this house for whatever reason. Where and then I got this job and I got some other good things happening and my husband's been a lot more lenient, not lenient, but like, well, like he's working around my schedule a lot more, which is new. Um, 
but it's still stressful. Like it's really stressful that like many weekends or sometimes when he's working, we have to like juggle the baby and um, rush him out of the house. So he's not like screaming during these calls. And um, I don't know. It kind of feels normal now, like whatever this normal is, but it's also really sad because my, it's really sad watching my son like, be excited to like see people that are like a mile away walking somewhere because he sees people and he's two. So it's not like you can explain to him like what's happening, which I don't know if better or worse. Cause I actually know some children who are like having like psychological issues, like that are like four or five. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard there's been some sort of uh, like, fo- like, like babies or kids who, you know, had graduated from like diapers to like, you know, underwear, like have gone back. Are you making a joke? No, I'm not. I'm not at all. Like (laughs) I I read, I read this thing, this paper, this article about it. Like some kids are. Was it a paper article? It was a, I know. No, it was actually online. It was online. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just reverting back like in development. uh, Yeah. Cause it's like, it's whelming. Like you, it's like saying like, I I think it was one of our calls. Oh, I think it was with, Jess, no, I can't remember, but it was like people saying like, oh, they're just teenagers. They're just kids. Like this is nothing, but like you're stripping away like all their core values, which is like their friendships and like what their hobbies. And but yeah. I think it's difficult for two also, except yeah. he doesn't know what's going on, except that we can't go to the library anymore and we don't go to playgrounds and he doesn't right. understand. Yeah. Um, there's been a disruption in his day to day. So, I, you Sorry. still, you still Too haven't badly. completely answered Because it's my like a question. day by day. I don't have an answer. Especially well, how, like, like, get deep. Like, how is your mental health? Like, <sighs> when I think about my own mental health, like, you know, I go to my, you know, clinical depression and my anxiety and like how those things have impacted. Like, how is, how is like the, the, the noggin? How is the emotional state of Jennifer? I think it's like, I know I've said it on. I I don't have a clear answer because I think I'm so distracted by my kid that like mm-hmm. I don't I don't have that much free time to like think about not seeing people or think about not doing things or um, I'm more focused on like it's stressful like how do I entertain like this person right like, twelve to thirteen hours every single day yeah. by myself with no other people no activities. Like, and we're still being pretty cautious. Like, so if the playground has like more than one person, like I'm not going there. Like, mm. and, um, so you really haven't had, yeah, I haven't had, I have yeah, kind of sit because, with that and because stuff. of this, like, and some other projects I'm working, like every moment of the day is pretty much either me procrastinating to distract myself from the abyss of work I have to do. So I, I haven't, which is kind of a blessing because I think if I didn't have the baby, I would be like a mess. Like I would be like a full on wreck because before the baby I relied on, it's unhealthy, but I relied, my happiness was relying on hanging out with my husband or like doing mm. fun things with my husband. Who's like even more busy now than he was. Mm-hmm. And he was already really busy before the pandemic. Um, you should explore that in therapy. I would like that. But like we talked about on this thing, like therapy is expensive and, yeah. Haven't. Yeah. In a long time. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like I I joke, but like I also um 
that's got to be so hard. You know, like I, I think a lot of parents probably are dealing with that right now, especially parents of young kids, right? Who are just like, yeah, I, I mean, not really having any time to like do, you know, to look inward or to like think about their own mental health when everything is, you know, externally, understandably focused on, okay, one day at a time with this kid. Like, how do I keep him occupied? How do I keep him at safe the same and time, healthy? Though, there's, he's very, I mean, we were just having like a full on tantrum before we got on this call, but like, there's so much joy and spontaneity that he brings me, even in the monotonous of every day. We do like the same things every day. Yeah. Like, but like, okay, you're going to laugh at me because every episode, but like, we'll be outside watercoloring. I taught him, like, I gave him watercolors. Um, which is extremely anxiety inducing because all the colors look like brown now and he's banging the brush, but he like, <laughs> hears a bird or like an acorn fall outside and he'll stop what he's doing. And he's like, huh, that noise, listen, like, Aww, <laughs> and I it's love that. So cute that like, even when I'm cranky, it's like, how can you, like, how can you not experience something completely new to them? Mm. Like even yeah. like this season, like he found pumpkins, like pumpkins are, you know, pumpkins, mm. but like, he's so fascinated by pumpkins because he doesn't know what they are. So like, yeah. and because of him, the, yeah. yeah, you're seeing like, I get, I, and it's like a cliche, like see the world, through see the world eyes. through him. Yeah. yeah. But like, it really is fascinating watching someone like, obviously when a bird makes a noise or a frog makes a noise or whatever, we're just like, Oh, it's a bird. It's a frog. But he's just like, Oh, what is it? Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, it is a cliche, but I, I like to hold on to that because I, I think that as we get older, we kind of we put up walls, we put up cynicism, we lose that sort of innocent wonder and joy, which I think like is such a aspirational thing to hold on to. Like I love I love looking at the world through through the kids eyes. I love looking at the world in that way because it is like what's happening next? You know, you're, you're it's it's a joyful kind of way to to look at the world i love it i will tell you it is a little boring playing on the side a crack in the sidewalk because that's his favorite place to sit is this crack <laughs> so i said you want to go to the crack like <laughs> <laughs> and we play with pine cones and that's cool but i don't know how many hours i could play with pine cones i'm like come on let's go paint the pine cones or something with them um it's funny but it is really fun and i taught yeah. him how to pet flowers i love petting flowers hmm. Yeah, I, I will say, like, also, like, I might not have a lot of time to think, but I'm also, like, super enjoying, like, even when my husband is really busy or, like, we're, like, in separate rooms, I'm like, ah, oh, peace. Yeah. <laughs> I will draw bugs today. <laughs> yeah. So that's me. I mean, yeah. it, it's not, like, in every – it hasn't affected me incredibly negatively other than, like, teaching a whole class of one about everything. <laughs> life. But it would probably affect me very, very, very badly if it wasn't. Mm. If I didn't have one, because I would have, I, I work for myself. I would have hours upon hours to just be in my head. So. That's a, yeah, that takes practice in and of itself. Well, I'm. That's a segue. Yeah. Uh, is it a segue? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm asking how your head is. My head. Yeah. My, my uh, mental health during this time, you know, it, it was, it's funny. In, initially, I think I was like, we got this, you know, like, cause I, you know, I, I was raised in like some severe trauma and weirdness at times, you know, and, and I, I feel like, um, 
you know, in some ways I'm like equipped for like, you know, the pandemic severe, like, yeah, things happening like this, right? Like no toilet paper (laughs) and everyone buying all the cans of beans because we're going through like turbulence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love a, I love a a leaf, you know, to wipe my butt. I love it. Um, And, uh, but I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. (laughs) I have a lot of leaves in my house. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I, but as as time has gone on, I I think, you know, it has been hard for me, especially like my depression has been, uh, you know, real real kind of dark at times and real hard at times, and I I think I you know even though I'm an introvert, I I still rely on and need connection and I need hugs, you know, and I need these things that I'm not getting, so. You know, doing things like this, this project, and and connecting with you has been uh, a boon for my mental health. And, um, you know, doing new projects like writing or or you know continuing to do Yumi Empathy has been very helpful. Um, but you know, trying to kind of um, <laughs> remind myself that uh, that uh, you know life life is hard at times, and life is sometimes great and sometimes not great and and i'm trying to i'm trying to just be as present as possible in this you know and understand that like the dark moments when i do you know have suicidal thoughts which happens uh i remind myself that uh you know i've been there before i i can get through it you know um i'm familiar with this space i've been through it before i got through it the last time you know all that kind of thinking so it has been ups and downs. And then recently I've had some like physical issues um, that have been hard, but, you know, kind of working through them and getting help and support. But uh, yeah, it, it's hard. And I, I know folks who are listening, you know, it's probably been very hard on you in, in a lot of ways. And I think the most important thing that I'd like to say to people listening is like, you're not alone. You, there are um, immense, you know, opportunities for support out there through online communities, through, you know, telehealth therapy if that works for you and you have access to that through you know I mean there's like free groups as well and you know hopefully this podcast helps a little bit too mm-hmm. but it's uh, as of this recording we're recording this in November 2020 and uh you know the pandemic is still strong and it's it seems like it's going to go into 2021 and and hopefully there's a uh you know a, a cure on the horizon but in the meantime like Take care of yourself. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Please. Please wear, wear a mask. It. Please mostly stay like away from people. Yeah, <laughs> please stay away from people. I I, I can't uh, emphasize that enough. Like it's people are dying, and uh, it's uh, it's not this thing is not a hoax. It's uh, reality, and um, you know. I, you know, I, I, I see the world through like the empathetic lens, as you know, Jennifer, and I, I see this time as a, an exercise in empathy. So reminding ourselves that like, hey, our actions do impact others, right? So please stay safe, please stay home, wear a mask, and uh, we'll get through this together. And eat cookies. And eat cookies and sit on cracks. <laughs> and play the pine cones <laughs> for like six cones. hours every day.
Yes. Um, let's let's get to our interview with Mina B, the wonderful Mina B. It's uh, it's a great chat. Um, hope you enjoy it. Uh, Jennifer, remind the listeners where they can connect with you. In Florida, I'll be sitting on the crack in the middle of the street. <laughs> uh, I go to Florida for the crack, you guys. <laughs> That's what Jennifer's saying. Um. I, you could find me at my podcast, which is on hiatus, but is still amazing. Is called Rainy Day Diaries. It's everywhere you listen to podcasts. And then you could find me on Facebook and Instagram at Jennifer Lynn, J-E-N-I-P-H-E-R-L-Y-N, and JenniferLynn.com. Where can people find you, known? They can find me also on cracks in places, <laughs> <laughs> as well as my podcast, You Me Empathy, which is... Uh, new episodes every Monday. Oh, uh, sure. Maybe show yeah, me up. Weekly, show me you up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on Instagram and Facebook, uh, at Feely Human, at Yumi Empathy, and FeelyHuman.co, FeelyHuman.co, which uh, right now, uh, uh, through the end of the year, um, and I don't know when this episode comes out, but whatever, 20% off the shop uh, with the code Feely20. Um, so check that out. And uh, we wanted to remind you that It's Okay to Feel is for informational, educational, and or entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical or psychiatric advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We are silly billies who like birds and cracks and uh, like each other, and we like you. And It's Okay to Feel is funded by the Orange County Healthcare Agency. OCHCA, Behavioral Health Services, Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Cares Act, which means that we are lucky humans who get to do this because of all these amazing people. Indeed. And hey, listeners, remember that your feelings are valid. Your feelings are guideposts on your journey, and it's always okay to feel. Welcome to It's Okay to Feel, a NAMI Orange County podcast uh, that is co-hosted by me, Known Wells, and I'm here with my trusty co-host, Jennifer Lynn. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Known. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. <laughs> there was a uh, little pause there, and I thought you froze for a second. <laughs> oh, I might have. Uh, <laughs> we are so grateful and ecstatic to be here with Mina B. Uh, she's a therapist. And today we're going to be talking about navigating our mental health during a pandemic. Mina, hello. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Non. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, let the listeners a little bit, uh, let the listeners know a little bit about the work you do. Well, hi, everyone. So as known shared, my name is Mina B. I am an author, writer, and a licensed therapist based in New York City. I work with clients who struggle with depression, anxiety, and trauma specific to childhood and racial trauma. And I do a lot of writings for different publications, such as the Huffington Post, the Today Show on mental health, mental health advocacy, and community care. Oh, that's so awesome. And literally <laughs> like something that... You're like, I looked at, no, and I don't know if you could tell because there's three of us here, but when you were speaking, I'm like, how perfect is she for us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, I love all of that. Thank you for sharing that. So let's let's get into it. Like it has been um, what as of this recording, eight eight months or something since uh, COVID nineteen has been a thing in the world, and it has been a thing that you know we're experiencing for the first time, right? This like new thing that um, we're all experiencing. Can you talk a little bit about like how personally it has impacted you? I'm curious about that. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest impact is just being going from community to in-person community to having to shift in a way where I don't want to call it isolating because it hasn't been isolating, but I live alone. And so when you're used to being outside of your home for work and for gatherings, and now you're having to do everything in one space, one spot, sometimes it feels like the wolves are closing in on you. And it's just like, this is too much, you know? So I definitely feel like it's impacted me in a way where um, I find that I've had to develop a different sense of routine just to get myself out of the house. I, um, Because I am a social person, I do feel like it's impacted me in a way where just being home every single day and doing all my different tasks and duties in the same exact spot has been a little triggering for my mental health. Outside of that, however, I will say that in many ways I've been thriving during the, during the pandemic. And I think it just has helped me to figure out how um, I manage my time. And because I am home, I, you know, I'm still working, I'm still doing all these different tasks and I've become even busier now during the pandemic um, due to telehealth, but also due to companies and corporations who are in need of mental health services. And since that's something I provide as a workshop facilitator, I've seen a big boost in the amount of work I've had to do. But it has helped my time management. And I think it has also helped with me um, finding some sort of way to engage. And the last thing I want to share is I actually bought myself a puppy about oh my a God. month ago. So You're I was like, well, if language. Right, if I'm going to be home during during a pandemic and we have no idea when this is going to shift because it doesn't look like things have changed um, because cases are rising now. So I'm like, this is probably the best time to have like a little puppy friend and winter blues are coming. I lost an hour of sunlight being in New York City thanks to daylight savings. So I would say the puppy, um, I mean, the pandemic has turned me into a dog mom. (laughs) And your puppy is so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Cute. By the way, his name is Bentley and he's a Yorkie poo. Oh my goodness. I mean, we should just we should just end this podcast now and just say you get a puppy, you get a puppy. Puppies right. for everyone. Just like I mean, oh gosh. Oh, what we, kind of puppy are you buying me, Known? I don't know. I mean, there's there's Thank we, you, Oprah Known. <laughs> so we we also uh uh got a dog, uh adopted a rescue. I guess it was earlier this year, like right before the pandemic. And uh, yeah, having a couple of those critters running around, you know, especially when you're at home all day long, it's it's certainly, uh, it's certainly improved my mental health. For yeah. Sure. yeah. My critter has two legs. Does he count? Sure he does. <laughs> I think I've said it before, but I actually think he's a huge blessing during this pandemic because he takes up so much of my mental space that I would be alone otherwise. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so he helps when I am alone. It's even more fruitful because I'm usually not. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, what what has been interesting uh, for me and hearing from others during this time is, and you kind of commented on it a little bit, Mina, which is, you know, finding the things that anchor us again, right? Like, all of a sudden, we're like, in this word home, right? And maybe we feel isolated, maybe we're not in our routines and finding those either routines or finding the things that kind of anchor us and ground us to, you know, health and mental health and just like, you know, consistency has been something that's, that's helped me for sure. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And I think too, you know, during this time as well, engaging in something new, because I really think this is about finding ways to adapt. This is something, as you said, we've never dealt with this before. And in order to learn how to build resilience, we also have to learn how to adapt to change and recognize that in life, certain things aren't always going to go the way we want it. And when things are going in a way that we don't have control over, recognizing, well, what in my life do I have control over and how can I use that as something that anchors me and helps me to become resilient during this time? And for me, like I said, I've been home. And once I began to notice being home all day long was kind of triggering for me. I had to figure out, well, what can I do with my time? while I'm home? How can I make this more um, therapeutic? How can I make this more fun and engaging and exciting? And so uh, even outside of getting my puppy, I've never baked so much before. (laughs) Within these last months, literally, I've been baking cookies. I went from making a cake to a two-layer cake to a three-layer cake. (laughs) So there's no, there's like you, and you also learn that there's no, there's like resources are always available to you. You just have to choose to engage with them. So for me, it was like, what can I do that keeps my mind going? And right now the puppy is the thing that keeps my mind going. But when I'm not focused on the puppy, you know, one of the things that was working for me was baking. It was an act of mindfulness where I had, I had to get out of my head. I had to pay attention to the recipe. I had to pay attention to what was in front of me. And then you get this great reward at the end because you get to eat this delicious thing. You know, and so I definitely feel like that's one of the things I've learned through this process is this is what it looks like to build resilience. So what if you were struggling with coming up with a routine or finding things to like shift your brain? Like what do you suggest for people who aren't okay right now or can't seem to figure out what will make them okay? Yeah. I mean, I also think it's important for us to sit with those emotions. Um, I think that one of the things that I've been reminding people, especially my clients, is despite the fact that it's been eight months, this is eight months of a shift within something we've never had to deal with. So to go your whole entire life dealing with this level of normalcy, expecting yourself to become adjusted in eight months is not necessarily realistic. This is, like I said, we all know that this is something we've never dealt with before. And I think sometimes it's really all about sitting with those feelings and just recognizing this is hard for me. You know, I can't get the routine that I'm I'm trying to build a routine. It's not working. So what in this moment do I need to feel supported? What do I have access to that can give me the support? And what are the things that I might have to search for that I need access to that I don't have access to right now? You know, and so right now I know a lot of people are pushing 
therapy, pushing telehealth. And I think that's very important if you are someone who's just really struggling and maybe during this time, um, working on your mental health with a professional could be very, very helpful. But if that is something that you can't do or you don't have the access to, how can you engage in community care? So remembering that being alone during this time can impact our mental health. And so who do you have in your community? I always tell people, ask yourself, who's in your village? The same way we list people in our family tree. Well, the same way they say it takes a village to raise a child. Who is in your village? Who is that person who pours into you, who invests into you? Think about those people and reach out to those people. Have conversations with those people. Tell them how it's been hard for you and see how you can build a routine off of that. But I think it's just really important to stay engaged. And also don't be too hard on yourself because maybe it's going to take a few more months before you build a routine. And that's okay too. There is no need to put pressure on ourselves and no one, I think it's really important for us not to put the pressure of being perfect and learning how to man be the person who I learned how to manage the the pandemic you know like none of us are really this is a learning moment for all of us no one is going to um there is no arrival there is no specific ending point where it's like once you reach this level then you your mental health is optimal and you'll be able to get through this pandemic we're all all of our emotions ebb and flow and so like I shared like Finding a professional that you can talk to can be very beneficial, but also asking yourself who is in your village and engage with members of your community. Yeah, I love that. I think what is, you know, what struck me as as very key in that is is the it's not it's not a race, right? There's no finish line here. Like, and and for me that has been helpful in remembering in that like, you know, we're all we're all experiencing this. We're all in this and to your to your like very valid point like i think a lot of people are sitting with their feelings for the first time they're like okay cuz there is so much in routine there's so much in routine that that is good and valuable right it grounds us but there's also in my mind um a certain ignoring or a certain sort of avoidance in routine sometimes i mean i i know that that has been the case for me like you know you do the thing to distract you from the uncomfortableness, right? The discomfort that comes with the feelings, that comes with the new thing, that comes with the change, right? And, you know, if there is a silver lining in any of this is like, in my mind, it's like, sit with that discomfort, look at it, be curious, right? Right. Absolutely. You know, I think like you're, what you're saying is so key because I think a lot of people recognize that they have been dealing with so many things, but the, just the routine of life has distracted them Mm. from being able to really sit with that. And now when you, for example, are working from home or, you know, unfortunately for those who were laid off or who are now unemployed and all you really have is just yourself, and you're by yourself and you're home alone. Like even like I shared before, I live alone. Yeah. So having to be in that space of being alone can definitely bring up some emotions that you may realize you never realized you had or you did know, but you were allowing those day-to-day functions to distract you from really sitting with those things. And so that's why I think it's just important that as you're navigating these last few months, just recognizing, well, what is coming up for you? Because it might be the first time that you actually faced it head on you know, and trying to jump into a new routine or trying to jump into something new just to distract yourself from that thought won't be beneficial for you. 
And so like engaging in different ways and, and engaging with people in different ways so that we can learn to be more in tune with our emotions and recognizing that, yeah, this is not a finish line. No one's going to get a reward for who, you know, had the best mental health during a pandemic, right. <laughs> you know, it's right. really just about recognizing we're human. We all feel different things. Some of us thrive in different areas of our life, but if you do once it one, it's a strength to recognize that you're struggling in the first place, you Absolutely. know, because that's self-awareness. And once you have that self-awareness, you will be able to engage um, in the tools that you need to bring forth whatever change you're seeking. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to the community piece of it for a second because, you know, obviously, as as you know, Mina, like as a therapist, like there's one, there's the layer of like, we're in a pandemic isolation and then there's the mental illness, mental health side of it, right? Like I have major depressive disorder and that could be so isolating, right? Even though like you can tell yourself like, oh, I have people to talk to. It could be just such an isolating experience. Like how do you you know, and this is for the listeners, like, how do they find community, especially during this time where like, maybe it not be, it might not be safe to, to be there in person, like, and how do you feel, how do you like suss out like, what is safe for me to like, talk about my mental health and be vulnerable? You stole my question. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I thought you were distracted with uh, the kiddo. Hey, now. <laughs> I could still have questions. I'm a mom. I multitask. You're next. (laughs) So definitely, I will say, I think it's important to acknowledge, you know, there is mental health and then there is mental illness and people who are functioning with a diagnosis right now and how this whole pandemic has played a huge role in that, but also impacting it. Um, One of the key things that I've shared with my own clients and I'll share here is finding an accountability partner. You know, that's in some ways what community can look like for someone who struggles with one being alone, someone who struggles with depression, someone who might struggle with anxiety. And it's really been hard for you to navigate not being able to socialize the way we used to before. And we all know like with certain mental illnesses like depression and anxiety, isolation is not necessarily helpful in those moments. And I always say, well, who, if you had and could choose an accountability partner, who would it be? And an accountability partner basically is someone who, one, you feel safe with. This is someone who you feel safe being vulnerable with. This is someone who is empathetic, someone who listens, someone who embodies practices that helps to make you feel good. Someone that you know that if I share this with this person, they will be there for me. Um, But also respecting everyone's boundaries at this time, because I know a lot of people are feeling different things right now. But what I will say is an accountability partner is someone who you seek out because I also know that vulnerability can be hard when you struggle with anxiety and depression. So I always say start off by jotting maybe in a journal, right? Who in your village, going back to that question, who is in your village? And now narrowing it down to the people in that village who embody certain practices that you know help to sustain your mental health. So someone who is empathetic, someone who listens to you, someone who's compassionate, someone who um, is truly um, interested in understanding you and not necessarily fixing you and saying to them and reaching out to them. And this is where the vulnerability piece comes in and saying, you know, 
I'm really struggling and I wanted to know if you're okay with doing like a once a week check-in on me. Maybe that's all I need. Or maybe once a week because I'm feeling lonely and I'm feeling isolated. Can we have a movie night mm-hmm. once a week and hold me accountable to that? Make sure that, you know, if I if I come up with some sort of excuse, I give you permission to not let me get out of that thing, you know? And that can be so, so helpful. It's something that when I teach my clients to do that, it's been something that they all have felt has been very, very useful for them. Because I think often, too, when we struggle with mental illness, we shy away from reaching out for help, you know. And I think it's really important to recognize that there are people who want to be there for you, you know. And so in what ways can you get out of your own way and whatever thoughts you might be having, having Get those thoughts out on paper. I think it's one really important to confront those feelings and confront those thoughts and then challenge them, right? So when you feel alone and isolated, are you really alone, right? Challenge that thought by asking, well, I know this person, I know this person, I'm always talking to this person. So am I really alone the way my mind tells me I'm alone? And if I know this person who's always reaching out to me, always support, what evidence do I have to support that they actually don't want to support me through my depression during this time? I see they embody practices that shows that they care, they reach out, they call, even before the pandemic, we did all these things. And so why all of a sudden is my mind telling me that they don't want to be there for me? So I really encourage people to, to write those thoughts out, challenge those thoughts, and then create a plan on who you can hold, who can hold you accountable and create that accountability partner and come up with some ideas together and say, well, this is the area I'm struggling with. So what can we do together? And I need you to support me around that. Man, that advice is so good. Where were you like when my depression was like rock bottom? No one loves me. I'm all alone, like rolling on the floor crying. And that's really hard because it is really hard to get out of your own way. Like when it was really, really bad, I did have supportive friends and like they threw me a surprise party and I left after like 20 minutes and like told myself they don't like me. Like it was like one of my biggest regrets is because I was so no one loves me. Like no one really cares, even though obviously they all did care. Like, Mm -hmm. but I was also too scared to get hurt. Like if I found out they didn't love me, I don't know. It's, it's really hard on your brain when you're struggling. (laughs) It's a real thing that many people, many people struggle with. You know, I also have a history with struggling with depression from pretty much early childhood up until my young adult, uh, my mid young adult to mid twenties. So I totally relate. And that's why I even share that too. Cause it's like, I was stuck in my head so much about this is what this person feels about me. And if I ask for help, they're going to respond this way. Um, and then I had to start as I became a therapist as well, learning those therapy therapeutic tools and recognizing, well, sometimes we really, and the best way to get out of your head is to literally get those words out of your head. Can you write them down, type them out? Sometimes I would even like say my thoughts in a voice memo. And when Mm. I would replay it, I would be like, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Why why was I saying those things? Like (laughs) You really have to, because when we're trapped in our mind, often our negative thought outweighs the positive thought. 
And so when we don't have an outlet, because sometimes writing things out can feel like a third party, that objective view where it's like, okay, this is what I'm feeling, but let me go back and read my journal. Let me go back and listen to that voice memo. Let me go back and, you know, another thing that I used to do was there was a a moment where for a few months I started a blog, but I didn't publish it. And I was just writing out so many feelings on this blog, but it was just for me. It was just my own personal blog. And I would go back and read some of the things that I wrote. And I would be like, wow, like, why did I think some of these things? And I needed that objective lens to show me that actually there's evidence in my life to show that people love me. They just threw me a surprise party. Then you have to sit with that. Do people really use their energy to do pay money, (laughs) right? Use energy, their time, their resources. This friend works. This friend has to do that. And they did all these things to show up for me. Where is the evidence to prove that I'm not loved from these people? And I really, sometimes we do need that objective lens to help us understand that. Yeah. That's so good. So true. I, I what, a, what, what a gift that, that advice is. Because I, it's, you know, when we're in our heads, it's such, it's, it's like, this powerful force of like we we just forget truths like we forget (laughs) truths in there like we we can like i know for me like i'm like convincing myself that i don't deserve love i'm convincing myself that i need to be in pain and like i have all this evidence around me and it's such a good piece of advice to get it out of your head on a piece of paper or like I know my EMDR therapist has said, just like say it out loud. Yeah. Just say it like out loud, you know? Um, so good. I love that. Yeah. And it's simple. Yeah. Very. And I think too, what that also shows us too, what you said, like in your pain, it also shows that even when I'm in pain, I'm still loved. Mm. Cause sometimes I think we all have this belief that in order to be loved, we have to be these, we can't be going through hurt. Oh yeah. In order to be loved, I have to be this whole perfect person or else no one's going to want to be around me. And sometimes too, that evidence shows that, wow, like even in the midst of me struggling, people are still throwing me a surprise party. Mm. Even in the midst of me struggling, friends are still calling me. That shows me that even when I'm at my worst, people still love me. People still care. And I think it's really important to recognize that piece too, because it's really important that we all know that we don't have to be these whole perfect beings in order to be loved. People have the ability to love us even when we're at our worst. Even when our depression is lying to us, we'll have our friends come and speak the truth to us. And they know, they're like, I know you're depressed. I'm still gonna be around you. I still wanna go to the movies with you. I still wanna plan that dinner date with you. Your depression doesn't scare me, doesn't scare me. That doesn't make me make you any less lovable. I want to cry. This is so good. <laughs> <laughs> so as we think about like this time and, you know, as of this recording, it, it seems like, you know, things are getting worse in points. Like I know that I have some friends with kids that were in school and now they're like back at home again. Right. And like, you know, as we sort of navigate our mental health and think about like the future, like, is it, is it important to think about like, like when will this end? Right. Or is it just like, how important is like presence during this time? I think presence is a hundred percent important during this time um, because whether there was a pandemic or not thinking about the future is pretty much thinking about something we have no control over. 
Yeah. Pretty much thinking about something that we can't, you, we can predict it, but often we predict what we want it to be, <laughs> right? We, we can't tell the future. So oftentimes when we're thinking toward the future, we're thinking about something that is in alignment with what we'd want and desire. Right. And when that doesn't happen, that can set our mental health back in some sort of ways. So I think right now it's really all about taking this day by day and recognizing that there's going to be a day where you feel like, all right, I got this under control. And then there's going to be another day where you're like, I'm home and my husband's at work and I'm with my toddler and I'm trying to do all these different things. Right. You know? And so I think it's really all about recognizing that we're in life has always been this way. I do want to share. It's just that now, um, because there's so much that's out of our control, we're seeing it. It's coming to the surface because that routine and stuff isn't there. So I think that it's just important for us to just, Taking the day. And one of the things that I share with my clients is um, I like to do a mental health check-in with them. And it's just three questions I always ask my, tell my clients to ask themselves on a daily basis when they wake up. Try to incorporate it throughout your day, but I always say start your day off with this and end your day off with this. And it's three questions. The first question is on a scale of one to 10, how am I feeling? And do your best to name that feeling. Because often when we're asking people, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing good. Well, good's not a feeling. So I don't know what that really means. I'm doing okay. Okay is not a feeling. I don't know what that means. And I think often we even struggle with identifying the the, the appropriate word to match our emotion. And so on a scale, if you could give it a number, 10 being the best, one being the lowest, where do you think you would fall on that scale? The second question would be, who can you ask for help? So if I'm feeling like a two today because I'm feeling really angry and sad, I'm going to think about that village. Who can I ask for help? Who is one person that I think I might try to lean on today? And then the third thing is, what do I need to feel supported? And that's often a tough question because I find that some of my clients will say, well, I'm the one who's always giving people support. I don't know what I need, (laughs) you know? And so sometimes it's really it's really important to ask yourself because depending on how you're feeling, when you reach out to people for help, you also have to be able to, to share with them, this is what I need in this moment, you know, because support looks different for everyone. And sometimes you might have to ask yourself, well, what I need to feel supported right now is a break. You know, maybe today's going to be the day that I just take that sick day from work, or today is going to be the day where I say, actually, I had this whole routine planned and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to rest. I'm going to do this other practice. And so I think it's really important for us to check in with ourselves on a daily basis so that we can recognize that every day one, we're going to feel different things. Yesterday, you could have been a 10 and you might wake up today feeling like a two. And what you need to feel supported today might look different than what you needed yesterday. And that's what life is about. And I think it's really, I think that could be a great way to stay in the moment by recognizing our our feelings are not linear. You know, our feelings ebb and flow and on different days, you're going to need different things and that's okay. Do you have to tell the friend like, hey, I need you today or. (laughs) I I would encourage people to practice that. But like, I think if you feel comfortable, I would definitely encourage you to practice it. Like texting someone and say, I need you. I need you right now. How do you not feel like a burden? Like. That's a good question. That is always a good question. <laughs> I feel like that is always the key thing that that stops people from asking for help. 
One of the things that I recognize is this comes down to a boundary issue. And what I mean by that is people who often struggle with boundaries and struggle with implementing a boundary and saying no, they often feel like other people don't have the ability to erect a boundary if they want to say no. So oftentimes, I often tell people in this moment, it's kind of shifting and reflecting on in what ways have you found yourself trying to show up when you couldn't? And in what ways can you give someone the ability to, to, to share their boundary with you? Because if this is someone, you reach out to them, hey, I need you. Chances are they might say, I can't help you right now. And that's their boundary. They're being honest with you and saying, I actually, I'm sorry. I hope everything is okay, but actually I'm having a really, really busy day. I can't, I can't be there for you right now. Right? That's not a reflection of you. That doesn't mean you are the problem. It just means in their own personal life, they're going through something. They have their own specific needs. Or they might realize because of the level of support you need, they just don't, they don't want to fail you. Right. And so they're going to show you their boundary. So I often say when you struggle with feeling like a burden. I also, I also encourage people to examine their own relationship to boundaries, because often if you are the type of person who says yes, when you really mean no, you often assume you project that onto the other person and you think that they're going to say yes when they mean no. And then it starts to make you feel like you're a burden. And so I think it's really important to just reflect in those ways. But I think it's also important to give people the space to tell you if they have the capacity to show up for you. And then the next level to that is learning not to take things personally, right? Because they, like I said, they might say, I can't be there for you today. And that doesn't mean that you're not important. It means in their own, the same way in your personal life, you're struggling, they're dealing, you're dealing with something, they in their own personal life have things that they might have to tend to too. So Cross them off the list and who's the next person, <laughs> right? Who's the next person? And if you realize, well, I don't have anyone else that I can call, that's that could be a great segue for now you to figure out, okay, well, I went through my mental health support. What do I need to feel supported? I felt like I needed this person to talk to, but they're not available. So how can I shift that? What can I do for myself that would make me feel supported without making, without feeling like I'm a burden to someone else or while also respecting their boundary. Mm, so good. Yeah. Boundaries. Uh, I mean, I, I wonder if you can relate to this, Mina, As <laughs> someone who gets a lot of value out of like, you know, being there for people, right? Like mm-hmm. being there and like holding space and that kind of thing. But I also recognize that, um, you know, I can do it to a point where it's a detriment to my own mental health, right? Where I'm like doing it too much and I'm forgetting about rest and I'm forgetting about self-care. And then and then it can almost become, you know, like a almost like a manipulation, a emotional manipulation, like on my part, which I I recognize is 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 an issue with me as like, you know, the helper type person, right? Like I have to recognize that like not everyone wants that. Like and I have to check in on my own sort of like, okay, what is it you need? What are you, what are you really doing here? Like, why are you showing up in this way? You know, um, do you struggle with that at all? Um, I would definitely say I used to. And then when I hit burnout and felt mm. like 
I can't do this anymore and, and I wanted to rip my hair out <laughs> is when I realized that, okay, you need to make a lot of changes in yeah. your life and you, you think you're practicing boundaries and really you are just giving and giving and it's not beneficial at all for yourself right. or that other person. And, you know, so that's why I feel like boundary work is very, very, because mental health is just so complex. We're never right. just dealing with one issue. Right. So even if you're struggling with depression or struggling with anxiety or struggling with trauma, mental health is just so complex that in those ways, you're not just struggling with that thing. Yeah. So that's why I bring up boundaries too, because there's so many different things that we um, have to learn and also unlearn in order to improve and gain optimal mental wellness. And so I find that for me, I really just had to learn that because I also pride myself on just being there for other people. Yeah. I've always prided myself on being very, very independent, but also counter-dependent. And what I mean by that is because I'm, I've grew up in a way that I always had to rely on myself. I grew up in a way where like in my house, household at a very young age, I was parentified. And what that basically means is when you're a child who takes on parental duties. Yeah. And as a kid, it's annoying. But as I got older, it became so normalized that once I became an adult, I kind of felt like I was operating as an adult from the time I was 10, mm. <laughs> you know? And so mm. once I entered adulthood, I felt like I could do everything by myself because I always felt like I had to do everything by myself. And being counter-dependent put me in a position where I started pushing away help. And I knew that I needed the help. I knew I needed the support. I knew I couldn't do certain things alone. I knew I didn't have the emotional bandwidth to commit to certain things, but I wanted to be everything to everyone. And being counter-dependent can also be detrimental to your mental health as well, because we have to learn how to just get to a place where we say no to certain things. Yeah. We also have to learn how to get to a place where we check in with our own emotional bandwidth and say, can I say yes to this or do I need to say no to this thing? And I would always say yes um, to certain things, but most of the time I was saying no to support, no to anyone else who felt like they needed to do or put it put a hand in because I needed to prove I could do this. I could do this because I came from a background of always having to do it. Right. You know, um, and so for me, it definitely took one going to therapy because I'm a therapist who has gone to therapy. Um, and this was during around that time when I was in my younger twenties and my younger to mid twenties, when I had to sit with this and really reflect on the different emotions that I was having and recognize that it is okay to ask for help. That doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you um, less strong and asking for help also doesn't take away your independence. Yeah. You know, um, so being someone who comes from that type of background, it took a lot of unlearning as well. We often feel like that. Why do we feel like asking for help is like a sign of weakness or a sign of you just can't do it? You're not good enough. Like it yeah. should be like something that's taught, like just like community is taught or like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's a cultural thing. I think it's it's something that's embedded in our culture where, because there's this stigma where I think it's a universal thing. Um, I think no matter what your skin color is, what religion you have, I think across the board, asking for help in many ways for some people, it just seems like a sign of weakness. I think it also just comes from how we are raised. 
You know, we're products of our experiences. And so often how we grew up to see the world and how we grew up to interact with the world comes from how we were raised and what we were taught, you know? And so if we, and also remembering that sometimes this is conscious and sometimes it's subconscious. So you can have a parent who's like, ask for help, ask for help. But if you're not modeling that behavior and your child sees that you're not asking for help, they're internalizing that also. So I think in some subtle ways, we kind of contradict ourselves as people where we say it's okay to do certain things and we tell other people these messages, but then we don't embody that. We don't model it for these people. And if they're small people, if they're children, they're watching. And oftentimes a lot of how we see the world as it's not until, you know, we get older that we start to release ourselves from how we've been conditioned to think. But when you're a child, that's all you know. You're taught to follow the rules of the home, the rules when you go to school. You're taught that this is the right way to do certain things. And children also learn through play. They also learn through behaviors that are modeled for them. So it's also important to recognize, too, that they're absorbing the world in a very different way. And I think a lot of our uh, a lot of our upbringing plays a huge role in how we identify with, one, how we see mental health in our communities and how we ask for help in our communities. Yeah. There's, I mean, I, I'd imagine there's also the component of we live in the United States of America, which has this like, you know, I mean, colonization issues, but like also like independence, right. And like fierce independence. And like, there's that piece of it. I think that plays a role in the, yeah. Overemphasis on like, I can do this alone. Right. And it's, it's strong to do that. Right. Right. I absolutely agree. It's like a societal issue as well, you know? And so that's why I say like, it doesn't matter what race, background, class, we, I think this is a universal struggle, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, I don't think there's one specific group that I've learned that in this group, they struggle with asking for help, but in this other group, they don't. It's universal. And I think it's because It's happening in our homes, but it's also happening with how we're taught to believe, how we're taught to chase after the American dream, how we're taught to chase after um, independence in life. And we're taught that you're supposed to do it alone. And, you know, it's so many mixed messages. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading this book a while back when I was actually pregnant about how in other, it's like how people give birth in other countries. And like, I forget what country it was, but they're like, well, you take the oldest person in the village and the youngest person in the village and you go up to this hill and you go up to the hill and that's who you have the baby with is like the oldest and the youngest person. It doesn't matter if they're like six or if they're like 90. And then they're like, and then you put the, like, and then you wash the baby in the river. And I'm like, okay, like (laughs) that's really trusting other people that you might not have a great relationship with just because of age, but okay, cool. (laughs) I mean, that, I, I hear what you're saying, Jennifer. I think that that's, I mean, we, that's, that's, a, I mean, to my mind, like, that's a value, right? That's like, that's to the village that Mina was talking about before. Like, that, I think that's in some ways, like, how things used to be in some regard, right? In our communities, right? And like, we all relied on each other. Like, we all did different things, you know? And, and I think going away from that has caused, you know, certainly division in a lot of ways and rifts in our society. And yeah, the overemphasis on that American individualism and, you know, uh, men being strong beacons of strength, whatever, and pushing down their feelings and, you know, um, you know, all that. Yeah. 
even just being an entrepreneur, people are just like, you do it for yourself. You work for yourself. You don't Mm. need anybody. You're just going to do it. And realistically, help or not, like you can't do it all. If you're making products, someone else still might package them or print them. If you're a therapist, you still need clients. Like if you, you know, people still have to come to your retreats. Like there's nothing, I don't think, I can't think of any career, whether you're doing it on your own, like you actually can do it on your own. Right. No, absolutely. None of us are doing any of this on our own at Thank all. goodness. <laughs> right. Right. But I do hear that message too, because I think that in itself impacts people's mental health where we, you know, entrepreneurship has risen so much. And now um, you have certain people who feel like, well, if I'm not an entrepreneur, am I good enough? You know, mm-hmm. did I make the smart choice? You know, um, and recognizing that we all have individual needs. It's okay if you choose to work the nine to five for the rest of your life. If that's what you want, that's what you want. And it's okay to go after it. And I think it's also important too, in some sort of ways that we acknowledge that people have a right to choice. Because I think sometimes too, we shout these messages in ways that can be shameful sometimes to others where it's like, well, if you're not doing this, then something's wrong with you. Well, it's no, I'm doing this. Like I, I think we all kind of strayed away from I, and it's kind of like you, you, you. And it's like, we don't want to hear about you, you, you. What about I go back to the, I talk about yourself, (laughs) talk about your own experiences. And I think often that comes up in this world where we've shifted away from the I and we've made everybody else's experiences ours. And that's not the case. Or we project our experiences onto other people. And that's also not the case. We have to learn how to go back to the eye and recognizing this is what I want for myself. Maybe being an entrepreneur is best for my mental health. Maybe doing this particular thing is what I need to sustain my well-being. But if you don't need that, that's okay too. Uh, I think that's probably a good place to start wrapping it up. What do you think, Jennifer? I think this was great. I'm. Thank you guys so much for your patience Oh yeah, <laughs> with me. Half the time I was leaving just because he's singing, but I don't know if singing means crying because he sings so much. <laughs> and he's just like laying on the couch going like, down by the bay. Like, <laughs> um, where can people find you online, Nina? Um, yeah, that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Nina B, M-I-N-A-A underscore B. They can also find me on Facebook with that same name. And you can visit my website by visiting www.minab.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I, it's a true, true honor. Thank you both. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode, we would love for you to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or just to say hello, head over to Instagram at Nami underscore OC, N-A-M-I underscore OC, or say hi to Known at you, me, empathy, or me, Jennifer, at Jennifer Lynn, J-E-N-I-P-H-E-R-L-Y-N. Thanks. Have a beautiful day.